2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Greetings and welcome to hell! This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, New Cohen, and I often do a backflip with a fireball coming out me backside.
3: And feeling a bit like Silla Black right at this moment, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 20th of September, 1994. Wigfield's Saturday night
0: is top of the pops, but somebody stop him. It's the mask at the top of
1: the box office. This is the story of Stanley Ipkiss.
4: Stanley, you are the nicest guy. <laughs> really, you are. Yeah.
1: His job is at the bank. You're 40 minutes late. Now that's the same as stealing. I'm sorry, Mr. Dickie it, It'll never happen again. He loves his dog. Come on, give him to me.
5: Drop
4: it. he's polite to his landlord
5: Pickers. do you have any idea what time it is
1: you know mrs Peenman. what nothing and the most exciting thing in his life are his pajamas <laughs> but now
0: hey you what are you doing down there i'm just looking for my mask
1: all that is about to change <laughs> <laughs> Because Stanley Ipkiss is not the man he
4: used to be. Smokin'! Jim Carrey's
3: star was on the rise, and, you know, it was a risk starring in a comic book adaptation at that time. More had failed than had succeeded. And this was a weird choice to get option, particularly because originally they were going for a hard R, but it got changed to being a PG-13 film quite early in development. We've still not had that hard R mask movie because the original Dark Horse comic book is dark as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there is murder and mayhem. It's kind of like an extreme low-key type position. Yes, but it's the scene when he uh, kill, where well, he kills
0: effectively the two guys uh, in the car repair shop that's him for the bill. Like in the movie, that he just sort of like you know shoves stuff up their butts and makes them feel very uncomfortable comic book he, he flat out kills them and like that that scene is it's basically taken straight from the comics but they pg-13 it
3: yeah in the uh in the comics it's literally an entire exhaust pipe and muffler array is shoved down the guy's throat and you see yeah. him i think hanging from one of the hoist chains i've not read that book in over 20 years probably actually i read it around the time that this film came out still up here still sticks in my head I reckon nowadays, if they do reboot the mask, we're going to get the hard R mask because they can just go, oh, "Well, yeah.
0: Deadpool." Exactly. Oh, yeah. When I mean, Deadpool changed the game, basically, like any before Deadpool, no studio would greenlight a R rated movie because, for fear, you know, of that type, because of fear that it's just not going to make any money. Then Deadpool made a load of money, and it's were like, "Oh, it turns out people do want to see those films and will go out of their way to see those films." So we can now make.
3: them. But this film was the film that launched the mask franchise and I use that word loosely because there were other films let's just not go there right now yeah but this film this film star Jim Carrey in the title role Peter Rygaard, Peter Green Amy Yazbek Richard Jenny and Cameron Diaz making her feature film debut yeah, an incredible like debut for Cameron Diaz, who is like going to become
0: a huge star of the 90s in just a few years' time with something about Mary and Charlie's Angels, and then she'll eventually get the Shrek um, voice gig as well. But yeah, it was an, a really great on-screen debut. Like, It almost feels like it's still a bit of a debut for Carrie as well, because we've had, at least when they were making it anyway, because we've had Ace Ventura now, and we've had Dumb and Dumber. This is the final of the summer of Carrie, and his incredible 94 run like a a brilliant back-to-back trilogy of number
3: one films and this film was no slouch while it was at number one it pulled in 351 million dollars on a roughly 20 million dollar budget making it at that point the second most profitable film based on a comic It, it was only behind superman it's absolutely stunning how much money this made it helps like carrie is the one that
0: sells this movie really the effects are very good the effects and they really do hold up as well but carrie gets it it's a movie that is trying to be a real life tex avery cartoon and Carrie knows how to be a real life, a free cartoon. And so he just like embodies everything that the film is trying to do. And I I mean, I watched this film so much on video. I, never, I didn't go to the pictures to see this one, but my cousin had it on VHS. We watched it all the time, like from Christmas 94 all the way through like summer of 95. We are watching this film on an absolute
3: loop. I don't think I ever owned this one on video, but I did see it at the cinema. I remember that much. No, I must have owned it on video at some point, because there's no way I only saw this film once. I remember it too well. This was a crowning achievement for Kerry. Establishing him as a leading man and established Diaz as a leading woman immediately off the bat also caused to resurgence in swing music. <laughs> it did,
0: yeah. Well, um, oh, what's
3: the song? Um, uh, something Pete.
0: Cuban Pete. Cuban Pete, yeah. He's the king of the rumba beat. My name Pete. is Cuban Pete. Pete. I go to Cuban the rumba beats, And when I go ching chinky oh, boom, ching chinky boom, chink chinky boom, ching-chiggy 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 boom. boom. It was a a big single as well, like off the back of this.
3: And it had a song and dance number that didn't feel out of place at all. It did receive a number of award nominations, including for its visual effects, which were done by ILM. And it probably would have won that Academy Award nomination if not for this little film called Forrest Gump. Our boy Forrest is going to
0: dominate the Oscars next year. I mean, and quite rightly so in some cases, because like they do insert Tom Hanks into some you know, iconic moment of American history, very convincingly so. But dude, some of the effects in this movie, like where they turn the mask into this cartoon character, are absolutely amazing.
3: Yeah, he does when he does the proper wolf wolf whistle as well. And it yeah. it still looks okay, is it as good as what you can do today on a home computer? No, you can do amazing things on a home computer today, but in the context of the film, it doesn't look bad. There is worse mm. CGI done in feature films today.
0: The cinematographer, John Arleonetti, is going to... I think he's going to come up again in our timeline, only this time behind the director's camera, as the director of Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Because he's the cinematographer on Mortal Kombat, and what they did was they essentially just levelled everyone up, so the cinematographer became the director. Is it really levelling up when it's Mortal Kombat Annihilation, though? (laughs) I mean, well, yeah, the producer did tell me. It was a mistake, because really what I should have done is then put a really good like director of photography in charge of that role so he can then back up leonetti doing his first ever movie mm-hmm. as opposed to as opposed to graduating a assistant to being director of photography who then is trying to learn how to be a director of photography from the
3: director oh that's not a good thing <laughs> yeah. but we managed to avoid just managed to avoid all those goddamn weeks of wet 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 again and instead <laughs> we've got didi nanana
0: It's Wigfield. Love this song. This is school disco. I mean, bear in mind, 1994, I am, you know, going to school discos at this point. Uh, I'm still in primary school and everyone knew this dance routine. And I think if actually if you put me on a dance floor now, I would still remember this dance routine. And if not, it would take me a little like it might take me two turns to be like, yeah, it's this. Then you go to this bit. Then you do that. The clap, spin. And then I'd be like, right, bang, I'm straight in there, and I know what I'm
3: doing. I actually cannot remember it at all. I, I mean, I remember the song. It's I don't Saturday remember the dance. The That's the Macarena. Really?
0: No, it's, Yeah, you're right. That is the Macarena.
3: For the benefit Saturday of those listening, which is everyone except me, Luke is doing the Macarena on webcam. It's, something, it's very similar to the Macarena, I can tell
0: you that much.
3: But yeah, Saturday Night, a song by the Italian Eurodance band Wigfield, which was performed... See, I always thought her name was Wigfield, but it's not. That's what I thought. If you'd have asked me now, what is the what is her name? And I said, oh, it's Wigfield. And I remember seeing her being brought onto TV, and I'm fairly certain she was interviewed <laughs> yeah. as Wigfield, but it's not a name. She's Sani Charlotte Carlson. She's Danish. There you go. Learn something new every day. Released in Italy in 92, November 93 in Spain, and then in 1994. So a hell of a gap. We're entering the last quarter of 94. And it's Mm -hmm. just beginning to make its impact here, but make an impact it does, as when it's released in the rest of the world, it makes bank. This didn't just climb the chart, this entered at number one here in the UK. It made her the first artist to enter at the top in the UK with their debut single, and, thankfully, dethroned Wet Wet Wet's 15-week chart topper with Love Is All Around. 15 weeks. And the best thing was, it's not like... The sales were dropping off. They dethroned Wet 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 at a point when its sales had climbed from about sixty-five thousand to over a hundred thousand per week. So Wet 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 was actually selling even more than it had a few weeks previously. There was just there was just more allure to Wigfield. Enemy ranked it number fifteen in their list of the fifty best songs of nineteen ninety four. I think calling it a song is a little bit generous. Yeah, it's Europop stuff. It's a it's a it's a banging track but it's not rich on
0: the lyrics. We've got this for another few weeks. It goes out on the 15th of October, I think is when Take That Takeover. So we've got this for another week or so yet, but I did want to just wrap up the talk about the dance routine because I was trying to remember it. And I was checking out the Wikipedia page for this song and it says here, There is a suggestion from some sources that the dance routine began as an aerobic routine by a gym instructor created to the song at a holiday resort and followed it back to the UK. The dance does not appear in the music video for the song, however, it was performed by backing dancers during Wigfield's performance on Top of the Pops on the 16th of December 1994, so four days before this episode aired. Wigfield states in an interview, I remember I did some promotion in this place, North of Madrid, and when I was doing the track, I saw everyone doing this thing and they all jumped at the same time. I hadn't even known about the dance until then. I still remember the dance, but I didn't do it. I thought it was kind of nice that it was just the people doing it. I really thought that it was like an official thing for the song as opposed to just... It's actually even more magical to me now that there's like this this mythical this mythical dance and no one's really sure where it started there's just there's rumblings and there's whispers of where it might have originated from
3: i still have no clue about this dance it must have just there must just been enough of a difference between us in age that it just missed me but the one (laughs) thing that does stick in my head about this song is this was charting in september now october november time in my hometown every year we had the Mop fair I love the Mop Fair. I didn't go on a lot of the rides because, you know, it was a traveling fair. And I still believe a lot of those rides are held together with duct tape and spit and a bit of hope. But they did have the arcades. And at this point, oh, those arcades were good, Luke. Those arcades Mm -hmm. were very good. I used to save up a lot of 20p's to go around the Mop Fair. But as you're going around the Mop Fair, weaving between all the attractions and stands, a lot of the rides, particularly the whirlitzers and stuff like that, are blaring music. And you've not lived until you've heard four different rides, all blaring out Wickfield Saturday night <laughs> at different points in the song. Yeah. They're not even remotely in time. So you are getting this weird echo chamber. At the top of the video game charts, Model Combat 2,
0: which was released on 9th of September, is uh, all consoles. It is top of the charts because. Yeah, it's bound to be. We get a lot of Mortal Kombat in this episode, actually. It's our first challenge, and it's basically all of the Consultation Zone. A couple of notes I do want to make from TV news, though. September 15th, a 1957 audio tape of John Lennon performing with the Quarrymen on the same night he met Paul McCartney fetches £78,500 at Sotheby's in London. Woofter. On September 19th, the release of the Cranberry single Zombie, a song written about the 1993 RRA bombing. The song is banned by the BBC because it contains images from the troubles. The BBC instead broadcast an edited version of the video that focused on the band's performance footage. I remember the song coming out and I remember like there being this sort of like bruhaha about it, but like I didn't think I fully appreciated the brouhaha around it
3: i genuinely don't as well i mean it's one thing to not remember um not remember a dance but yeah i've not got a scooby about any of the troubles related with uh zombie although in some tv news that you would definitely find
0: interesting september 21st of so the day after this university challenges returns to tv now with jeremy paxman as its host but the one that i definitely know is going to pique your interest september 19th the day before this episode aired sci-fi fiction drama the x-files makes its british television debut on bbc 2
4: are you familiar with the so-called x-files someone's investigating the unknown do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrials she's skeptical logically i would have to say no but together this isn't official procedure heading for a double cross.
1: It's happening again, isn't it?
4: I see no evidence that justifies the
1: legitimacy of these investigations. Seal this up. Right now, nobody sees or touches this. Nobody.
4: I'm going to die, aren't I? What is going on here? I'm afraid they're coming back.
1: David Duchovny is Spooky Mulder. This
4: thing exists.
1: Gillian Anderson is Dana Scully.
4: Agent Mulder believes we are not alone.
1: The X-Files, starting Monday, 19th of September, on BBC Two.
3: Now, way on back when, I think it must have been in series three, I discovered that, yeah, The X-Files started airing. But then I discovered, no, that was only in America. And, of course, I forgot this was the 90s. It was a full year almost before it aired here in the UK. And we said then, and I can't even remember if it was in the edit, that we would do something to commemorate the broadcast of this first episode of The X-Files. And so the next Patreon community stream that we do will be a live commentary on episode one of The X-Files, Pilot. That is an episode as well I
0: have seen so many times when I have restarted watching The X-Files from the very beginning. I'm like, well, you've got to go back to the start, haven't you? And then like I make it of about like series three or four and then I get a massive gap and then when i go back to restart watching again i'm like i'm gonna to have to go back to the start again so i go all the way back to the start so that first episode i've seen quite a few times at this point
3: it holds up amazingly well and hey what are the odds of having your first episode being called pilot when it's also the pilot episode chances are one in a million
5: <laughs> welcome to a new series of games master i'm dominic diamond i'm back and i'm grumpy each week, we'll select people, some of them physically attractive, others laughably ugly. And we'll invite them down here to our Dark Dominion, where it's gloomy, depressing, but as old age pensioners will be happy to know, the central heating is always on full.
0: I said at the end of Series 3 that there's a big shift when we get from Series 3 to Series 4. I'm not the first person to say that. I think it's patently obvious when you actually watch it, but like, wow, what a change! It is from going from series three to series four. It is like a wild, wild difference. Not only because you haven't got this enthusiastic, like not even the same enthusiastic Dominic Diamond that we had in series two, or like the really, really shouty, enthusiastic Dexter Fletcher host of series three. This is like his opening spiel is just like, I am back and I am grumpy. Like he is very softly spoken. And like the setting is so dim and dark and quite dank and stuff. It feels more like
3: season series one than it does anything else. I mean, that's partly because it's the same venue as series one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I do love in his opening spiel how he says, you know, pensioners will like it because the central heating is always on full. I've been in that church. It's bloody cold no matter when you're in there. Yeah, yeah.
0: And like, this is a very different Dominic Diamond in that, like, you know, when he's talking about the contestants, it's like, some of them will be good. Some of them will be laughably ugly.
3: Now, when we spoke to Dom, his exact phrasing
5: on season four was... Season four is raw, unadulterated me. And I think season four is pretty (gasps) short as a result. (laughs) You'll have already
3: heard us speak to Dominic Diamond again but because of the way recording goes, we haven't actually recorded that. So maybe we'll get some clarification. Maybe we won't. If we don't, I probably won't leave this in. So who knows? But I did immediately just feel at home with this iteration of Games Master. It felt very comfortable. It was like putting on an old pair of shoes you haven't put on in a while. They're slightly unfamiliar, but you can tell they fit your
0: yeah. And when we were speaking to him for the, the book launch, he did say that when he came back to the show, one of the things that they wanted to do was to move it away from the challenges and make it more of this magazine style show, which we definitely get in this series, because like you'll start, you know, you'll open up the show and you'll be like, hello, I'm Dominic Diamond. Here's the opening spiel. Let's go over to the Games Master for our first challenge. The Games Master will set that challenge and we'll interview the players. But then we'll go to the news. We go to the news and we get like four or five news items. Then we come back to the challenge. And like in the final challenge, there's a feature that goes alongside that challenge. So it really does feel like more segmenty than it had previously, which was just challenge
3: reviews, challenge, consultation zone, challenge. This is a balanced magazine format. Exactly, yeah. This is very deliberately structured. And after the phonetic energy of series three, I had a lot easier time making notes on this one. So much easier. There's way less pausing going on because there's way, there's way less to note down. I found it less tiring as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I did enjoy big chunks of Series 3, but this is going to be a lot easier on my typing, put it that way.
0: Yeah, and because of the magazine format, it's I found with Season 4, as I've been watching along and like getting my notes together, is when an episode ends... I want to watch another episode because I'm I'm curious to see like what's going to be in the next batch of news items, what is going to be in the review zone, what's going to be the feature, and things like that, which I, I never really had with Series 3. I did a little bit, particularly during the Team Championships, but this one is like, as an episode ends, I'm like, cool, load up the next one because I want to see what there is.
3: Now, I wonder how much of that is the show format, or how much of that is, as we covered by having an Episode 0 for Series 4, there's a lot of shit going
0: on. There's a lot of great games coming out as well. And like, it's like, what games going to be featured? Like, I know we've got some really cool specials coming up. We've got like a Donkey Kong special in a few episodes time where they play like they literally play the arcade. Donkey Kong as the first challenge to lead up to a Donkey Kong challenge in the uh, in the, sort of the end of the show, which is like awesome to see. I love that. I really, really love that. I'm looking forward to talking about that. But like you were saying earlier, I also like when the central heating is on. Not all the time. But I particularly if it's cold, like it's a bit nippy at the moment because the weather is proper gross. Even though we're nearing the end of bloody May, we're getting into June. I quite like having the central heating on, to be fair. And that might just be as well because I've I've moved out of my old flat for, in London, which didn't have central heating whatsoever. In fact, we had storage heaters, and we didn't really have storage heaters for the first five years that I was there.
3: We've got central heating here, and I think my issue is always if you if you've turned your central heating off for the summer, which you know you you may well do. Do you want to turn it back on? And then when you get through summer, it's like, it's September. I can leave it off for another couple of weeks. It's October. We can probably go a bit further. It's November. I'm farting ice cubes. We should probably turn the central heating back on now.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, those cold December months when we didn't have any heating in the house and actually leaky windows as well, bloody hell, they were quite tricky to get through. So now I'm in a house that's got central heating. I'm like, turn the f on. I want to go because this is the island in the sun over here. It's like the, in Muppet's Christmas Carol. It's just like, woohoo, this is the island in the sun have you had your first bill yet oh yeah yeah i don't i am mean, I'm, I'm very much exaggerating here but we've had bills through and everything is grand
3: that's good that's good i'd hate for you to be living la vida central <laughs> heating and then the bill comes through and suddenly whoop luke you've got one less kidney than you did a month ago <laughs> yeah.
0: but let's get into our first challenge what are
4: we playing games master greetings one and all i searched feverishly for the suitable game for our first challenge and came to the conclusion that it could be none other than Mortal Kombat 2. The new friendship moves may please those of a more delicate constitution, but of course, no Mortal Kombat game will be complete without those sensational fatalities. i selected three pairs to take part in this bloody battle of wits, and um, I may add just a little something extra to spice things up.
0: Before we get into the challenge itself, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. This is my least favorite design of Games Master.
3: It does feel a bit bako foil doesn't it? Because it's the first it's, time they're yeah. doing it as a physical application rather than a uh, superimposing thing.
0: Yeah, and I like, like we've had essentially almost the same design for one, two, and three, just sort of like upgraded versions of it. I just don't think it's as good as the computer generated
3: one. I don't think it's as memorable as the computer-generated one. But I do kind of like the fact that they've they've played a bit with the technology because he's not being just projected onto a bit of white cloth. He's floating. He's superimposed in the air, which given we're meant to be in hell, that kind yeah. of makes sense. I mean, we've got all the trappings of hell. A projector would look a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we've got Mortal
0: Kombat 2 here and Games Master is putting over all of the, like the new fatalities. But crucially the friendship moves which I remember being like this huge thing when the game came out it's, like, it's not just fatalities anymore there's friendship, there's babality there's all this extra crap that you can do to your opponents uh, but I, I, Mortal Kombat 2 is a game I've played way, way less than i played Mortal Kombat 1 even though Mortal Kombat 2 is
3: uh, yeah, I think you could probably make the safe argument it is the better game oh, by a country mile I would say it's the better, more fully fledged fully realised and fun game Mm. I'm the other way I played Mortal Kombat 2 way more than Mortal Kombat 1 for one simple reason and that is the proper Pucker version was available on the SNES therefore I had a copy which I kept hidden because didn't you know Mortal Kombat was in the papers Ooh, mm. yeah less so for Mortal Kombat 2 there
0: was less kind of press written around it even though as you say this is you know the controversy around the first one was that the Mega Drive had all the blood if you unlocked it but the SNES one had just sweat But here the SNES one is like all in bloody glory, you get everything, all the guts and glory you want from the second one.
3: I mean, for me, it wouldn't have been so much the press around Mortal Kombat 2. It would have been the press around Mortal Kombat and they'd have seen the logo that said Mortal Kombat and things would have been remembered. It's kind of the same thing um, for reasons that we're not going to go into. Child's Play 3 was highlighted as being a very problematic film. doesn't matter what you feel about Child's Play 3. In my parents' eyes, or at least in my mother's eyes, all child's play films were just as bad.
0: My friend and I, on a Friday night, and actually this would be many years later, not many years later, maybe like 98, 99, every Friday night his dad would take us down to the video rental store. I think it might have been three videos for a tenner, or maybe it's three videos for a fiver, actually, that you could rent. And his dad would always let us go and like rent anything that we wanted. So we would always go straight to the horror section, and we would rent three horror movies for a fiver. But the one instruction we were always given by his mother every single time that we went there and we got into the car, do not get a Child's Play movie. Do not even try to get a Child's Play movie. Don't let your father get you a Child's Play movie. That was the one that was absolutely blanket ban. You cannot have, you cannot rent that one. Rent anything else, but you're not allowed to rent that one. And one time we sneakily got Child's Play 2 and we watched it and it felt like proper naughty that we were watching Child's Play 2. His mum found out the next day and went absolutely spare. She was so mad at us.
3: My mind blows at like you know any movie, just not the child's play. And I'm just like, so you could have got Cannibal Holocaust, fine, easily.
0: Yeah, as long as it was at the video rental store, we could rent anything we else we wanted, except for that.
3: That's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even by the whole video nasty scandal and uh, movie being movies being villainized and everything, that's a that's a weird spicy take from your friend's mum. Oh yeah, but Mortal Kombat two. It's the big sequel to the even bigger first game. It was out in the arcades in 1993. And now here we are, 1994. It's been ported to the home. It's here on the Mega Drive. It's here on the SNES. It's also here on the PC, the Amiga, the Game Boy, the Game Gear, the 32X. And there were even ports for the Saturn, which I know because it's on my Saturn over there. (laughs) Is it really? It also got a release for the PlayStation, but only in Japan.
0: I was going to say, I don't remember it being out on the PlayStation, so that's interesting. I've got it on the Mega Drive, and I think that a friend of mine might have had it on the Mega Drive at the time. My Mega Drive copy is actually
3: on my desk at the moment, because it's part of my laptop stand. I played a lot of the first game on the Mega Drive. I didn't play much of the second one, because I didn't need to. I had the SNES version, and the SNES version was better, Mm. because I was a SNES owner, so of course the SNES version was better. That was just the way it worked. (laughs) I don't make the rules. (laughs) this was a game where as we well documented with the first one they made a lot of stuff up as they went along but this second game they had an idea where they were going they expanded not only the roster but the mythology the mythos the character stories there was more variety with the finishing moves including multiple fatalities babalities and friendships iconic characters were created kitana melina extra women in the game kung lao noob saibot shao and of course Baraka, but more on him later Mm -hmm. The game's plot does continue from the first games, for what it was as it features the next Mortal Kombat tournament set in the realm of Outworld with the Outworld and Earthrealm representatives fighting each other on their way to challenge Shao Kahn. This game made money The first game Mm -mm. made money, this game made money because it was everywhere and on everything
0: the hype was real man like the hype from the first game really really carried over into the sequel and like it was massive in the arcades but it was
3: huge on the home consoles the gameplay itself was tightened up a lot move windows were changed recovery windows were changed it was easier to pull off combos as we'll find out later as well there was a whole host of hidden extras and goodies and modes especially in the home versions And the legacy of this particular iteration of Mortal Kombat is long standing. Back when they did the kind of reboot of Mortal Kombat, the one that was just called Mortal Kombat, that drew a lot of its influence from Mortal Kombat 2 and used that as the anchoring point as they kind of tried to make the rest of the story from all the other games make sense. I really like that 2011 Mortal Kombat because it's got a great story mode and they managed to tie nine games together and have
0: them make sense really really smart stuff like i was actually talking with a friend of mine about this just the other day about how like cause we we're talking about the new movie uh which i still haven't seen yet so i might go and check it out I, by the time this episode is out i might have actually seen it because cinemas are open now but we were literally just talking about how the the latest series of games have really like expanded the mythology of mortal kombat and as you say tie a lot of the stuff together and makes it so like when a new game comes out it is like i want to see what the next chapter of this story of what this story is i mean i'm not saying it's a good story it's a ridiculous
3: story but that's what that's what what makes it great (laughs) yeah exactly it's ludicrous mortal kombat 2 is also a linchpin for for other games including the spin-off games mortal kombat versus dc which i low-key like that was also set during the time frame of mortal kombat 2 Injustice, Gods Among Us, which apparently is now becoming a DC animated movie, Mm -hmm. also technically takes place during the time frame of Mortal Kombat 2 because some of the downloadable content or extra characters are from Mortal Kombat and therefore they're from that time frame. So it's had quite a broad reach. And Boone and Tobias themselves kind of describe it as their kind of pinnacle of their journey with Mortal Kombat because they were making it while well, the first Mortal Kombat was being released in the homes. So they were making the follow-up to the game that the mania of which was all around them for better or for worse. And they had a budget this time. They had yeah. a professional camera to use this time. They weren't using someone's home Mini 8 video no. camera. They had a proper broadcast Sony camera they were using, but they still brought quite a few of the original cast members back. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this in that do- the documentary. Insert coin that
0: the one of the great things about Midway and uh, I and mean, we you know you look at the cast of this as well. It's all local people, and it's actually like it's friends and it's friends of friends getting involved. Like you know, okay, so spoilers. We have Baraka on this show. Guess where he was born? Yeah, Chicago. Of course, he's from Chicago because he's part of like this this group. There's this tight knit group of friends who are just hanging out and having fun, making this wild game.
3: And this challenge in particular is on the SNES version, which, as we mentioned, is the full red-blooded Mortal Kombat 2. And do you know what gave Nintendo a change of heart? Uh, Poor sales of the first one. Correct. (laughs) Correct. It all came down to the bank, literally. It all came down to the bank and the fact that they got their ass kicked by the Mega Drive, and I would be willing to wager Even back then, Mortal Kombat on the Mega Drive probably sold a few consoles and steered a few people towards Mega Drive on their Christmas list, rather than the Super Nintendo. I mean,
0: Sega took Christmas 1993 without the Sonic game that they thought they needed in order to get there, like they, Sonic 3 was meant to be released at the end of '93 so they could get that Christmas market. It was never gonna happen, which we talked about in, uh, when we talked about Sonic 3 uh, back in series three. So they only had Sonic Spinball to kind of rely on, but they had Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat. And, um, um, you know, maybe you could make the argument for Sonic Spinball, but really it was Mortal Kombat that helped push those Mega Drive sales and Genesis sales in North America so they could take the Christmas market once again.
3: And if you missed out on Mortal Kombat 2 the first time round and you want to add it to your collection today, well there's a lot of different ways to do it, but arguably probably the coolest way to do it is via Arcade One-Ups Home Arcade Cabinet, which includes Mortal Kombat 2 alongside the original and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, so you can get that proper arcade experience in your own home. They're not sponsoring us. I'm just hoping they might hear about this and give us a free cabinet. Oh, well, you know, it might work. You never know. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Now, we didn't look
0: in the magazine at the start of this show like we normally would do at this point because we were saving it for this segment here, Ash, because there's a review of Mortal Kombat 2 in the issue
3: you have in your hands. Indeed, there is. There's a review of the Mega Drive version. So while we're seeing the SNES version here, this is how the other side we're living. And we've got your standard review but we've also got those lovely little box outs which i like to use because they're shorter to read and usually a bit more succinct first up we've got les who says here we go again how many more times do we have to tell you mortal kombat 2 is brilliant on any format it's the best beat 'em up and in my opinion it kicks super street fighter 2's ass brave brave words from les
0: I mean, you were one or the other, weren't you? It's Beatles, Stoned, it's Oasis Blur, it's Mortal Kombat Street Fighter, and Les is clearly Team Kombat.
3: He goes on to say there's more depth to it with all the hidden bits and all those lovely babalities and friendship moves. This settles the argument. Mortal Kombat 2 rules. The only way they could improve on this is if they gave it a doom-slash-zero-tolerance viewpoint. I'd pay for that. Hmm. So he wants a first-person fighter. Oh, is that, I was going to say, is that what he wants? He wants it to be like a first person thing? I think so, yeah. I think that's a bad idea. Yeah, I think it is as well, but I mean, we saw that with Price Fighter* on the Mega CD. Over the page Tim Tucker says one of the best things about Mortal Kombat 2 is the plot. Game plots are usually uninspired to say the least, especially beat em ups, but Mortal Kombat 2 really captures the imagination. This is real cinema, with a combination of characters that run like a cult film who's who's guide. Every single counterculture genre stereotype has been represented, from the horror flick monster Baraka to the skilled martial artist Liu Kang. And with two female ninja assassins who will haunt your fantasies right into middle age, this has got the lot. If they do it properly, the film version will be all of this and more.
1: Hey, Mm. now,
3: Mm.
0: we'll we'll, we'll get to that because we have a feature on the Mortal Kombat movie in this series, I I think.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure it would be all of this or more, but... (laughs) We'll get to it. Tim continues, I only mention all this because nobody else has. It goes without saying that this is a great game. And lastly, the summary from Marcus, who was writing the main review, says it's predictable that we're going to get the usual my 16-bit version is better than your 16-bit version type arguments, but I wouldn't put any weight into the SNES Mega Drive Mortal Kombat 2 comparisons. The programmers have done a sterling job here, and it's possibly the best beat-em-up on the Mega Drive. We are getting into six button joypad territory though, so the SNES version obviously has another advantage. But the price of a pad is indeed a small price to pay for the hellishly good TV hogging, parent annoying fun you'll get for a very long time from Mortal Kombat 2. Friendships, babalities, fatalities, secret thingalities, all present and correct. And all your combos from the coin-up can be lovingly recreated. It's such a packed game, believe me when I say you'll be playing it for ages. Obviously all the players are well balanced, Playing against someone else ensures many a tense match, but even by yourself, there's so much to discover. Bless me, sir, if it hasn't been worth the hype filled wait. Now, this feels like it's going to get a very big score. Well, Luke, it's that time again. Oh, cr- Would you like to play a game? Crisps. Um, yeah, I suppose. Go on then. Crisps? Well, you better get ready to be salted. Assaulted? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I thought, you were, I thought you were going to go with the toasty thing instead. No, not yet. <laughs> Although, if you want to put the toasty sound in here... Toasty! I'm going to have to because it comes up a lot in the consultation So later. Oh, it really does. Toasty! Graphics. The ninty version comes closest to the coin up because it's the better version. That was my comment. They don't say that, but <laughs> I'm reading between the lines. But these are certainly impressive. It's an out of 10, right? It's out of 9. It's out of 9? 1 mm, to okay. 9. Cool, games
0: master. You know you got to change the format up somehow. I guess. Well, I'm going to go for. I was going to go for one less than what the top mark was. So I guess eight.
3: No, it was nine. Oh, okay. I mean, I would have said nine out of ten. So yeah, fair enough. Okay, that's cool. Sound astonishingly good for the Mega Drive, and certainly embarrasses Super Street Fighter Two. That sounds like it's a nine then. That is a nine. Playability, as playable well, as i, a pr- I I'll, I'll stop you there. It's a nine. It is a nine. Yes. Last ability. The Cliff Richard of video games. (laughs) This will transcend generations, probably.
0: Is it? I mean, are they going to go all out? Are they going to give it all nines? I'm going to say nine. It is. So, I mean, okay, that must be a really, really high score then, like mid nineties, maybe even higher.
3: Well, the final overall summary is reserve this now, or you'll be greeted by those irritating stickers that say, sorry, but this game is unavailable at present that shops put on carts these days. You must buy it though. Sell your kidneys to a corner shop kidney merchant if you have to, but get it nonetheless. So we've got four marks out of nine, and then we get a percentage score out of a hundred because that's how math works. I, it's got to be like ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Ah, uh, you got over enthusiastic, Luke. Ah, uh, so I, I said like the mid nineties. Was that was I more the it right ballpark? It was ninety-four. There? Oh,
0: that's actually lower than I thought it was going to be. Like you get nines across the board. I thought it would be mid like high mid at the very least like 96 was like my what i thought might be my maximum guess but only after like all that praise i'm like maybe they did go wild and give it like 97 98
3: but you know hey 94 percent. it's not bad it's better than sonic 2 did it, well i mean no doubt
5: so for the first challenge please welcome graham duffy daniel bitros and Jen fusion Okay, now, Duff, we'll start with you. Now, you had a bit of an unpleasant experience with a, a slightly dodgy import copy of Mortal Kombat 2. What happened? Yeah, I was playing as Shang Tsung and I did the backflip and he stopped off, right? And when I did the fireball, it came out of his backside. Oh, so like a, a mortal madras. Zen. Now, Zen, you actually met Duff through playing Mortal Kombat 2. Tell us about that. Uh, what happened was, um... Graham was on holiday and he was playing Mortal Kombat 2 in the arcade Mm -hmm. and some guy come up to him and says, I bet you'll never beat Zen. So we (laughs) gave him a number and here he is. And that was it? Oh, that's really nice. I I feel like Cilla Black. I feel like Cilla Black about twice a week actually. Uh, Finally, Daniel, do you ever feel like Cilla Black? Uh, Once a month, yeah. Once a month. (laughs) Okay. Right on. Playing our game
0: is Graham, Daniel and Zen. And, you know, we talk about how this show is Different in terms of its format and its presentation. I feel like its players are different now because we're three seasons deep into this. They get it. They know what this show is. They know who Dominic Diamond is. They know what this show is aiming for. So like, you know, Duffy, this proper wonderful Scouse lads are coming on here being like, oh, I was playing a Shank song and I did a backflip and then he got stuck and a fireball came out his backside. Like that is exactly the tone that this show is aiming for
3: yep mortal madras indeed <laughs> i thought the
0: the story between zen and duffy was really cute though which is just like they met playing this on holiday in the arcades
3: i love that i love this whole thing of just like someone going up to duff in the arcade and going you'll never beat my mate zen and then just randomly gives him this guy's phone number Nowadays, that's like, that's crazy to think that someone would do that, because that wouldn't even be a mobile number. That would be a home phone number. So that's how they faced off, although they do not reveal who got the upper hand. No. Although, I mean, we we only get one
0: winner out of this. uh, So I'm going to presume it was him, uh, (laughs) you know, playing against
3: Baraka. At this point, Dom reveals that he feels a bit like Silla Black after that heartwarming moment of people meeting which apparently happens at least twice a week. He asked Daniel how he feels about it. And Daniel says he only feels like Scylla Black once a month. Yeah, exactly. They get the tone now. They know exactly what this show is all about. They're making Dom laugh, which I love.
0: Exactly. Dom is out there. Like we, You'll see it throughout this series. Dom's not here to ask you questions about games. Dom will just ask you what your favourite flavour of crisps is. He couldn't care less about what you think of Mortal Kombat 2. He just wants to know a question about, like, tell me about that time you made someone a fireball come out of someone's butt, or like, you know, tell me about Scylla Black.
3: I think in the case of Mortal Kombat 2, that also makes sense, because really, what does it matter what they think of? We already know it's awesome. It just got 94% <laughs> yeah. in the magazine. They're bigging exactly. it up and they're giving it a challenge. But Luke, we've got three red-blooded competitors here ready to beat seven shades of tar out of each other, but Wait they're not going to be facing each other.
5: Okay, so what we're going to have here is uh, these two are going to take on probably the most frightening character in the game, Baraka. Yes. Uh, Mr. Baraka, sir, um, is it okay to shake your hand, Mr. Baraka? Sir? Yes. Okay, lovely. Thank you for coming on. We know you're a busy man. Um, let's take a look at these weapons you've got there, Mr. Baraka. Look at these. That's pretty scary. Um, bit of a problem picking the old nose, though, I'd imagine, though. No? Not at
1: all.
0: Oh. Yes. <laughs> here comes a new challenger. It's Baraka, who
3: I've got to be honest, I thought was Dave Perry. (laughs) But no, it is actually Richard DeVizio, the guy that played Baraka in Mortal Kombat 2 and also Kano in Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 3, and Mortal Kombat Trilogy. He was Quan Chi and Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat Mythologies, Sub Zero, a game I've completed and I still regret it. He was Cabal and Noob Cybot and provided motion capture for Mortal Kombat 4. This dude has gotten around. I was stunned when I saw that
0: in the credits, because I wrote in my notes, Dave Perry comes out dressed as Baraka in a
3: really cheap costume so they can do some fun gags. But do you know what his most legendary contribution to the Mortal Kombat mythology is, and possibly more so than being Baraka or Kano? What's that then? It is said that he was the first person to say Scorpion's iconic line, get over here. Really? Well, that is cool. Despite not playing scorpion yeah well again we
0: talked about that earlier with this sort of like this coming together this sort of like everyone mucking in when it comes to uh the mortal Kombat game as i said it's no surprise the lad was born in chicago
3: now baraka scares the absolute crap out of the kids when he comes out and i will say baraka in mortal Kombat 2 looks great doesn't hold up quite so well to the tv cameras does he
0: No, it looks... Well, that's why I thought it was Dave Perry in a like a cheap costume because it doesn't look like an official Mortal Kombat thing because it is like, it's not an... It's an ill-fitting mask. It looks so plastic. The Baraka like knives are like bending and they're sort of like, if there's a gust of wind, one of them may come off.
3: You know, on the scale of Halloween costumes, it's definitely not a Ruby's costume. It's not that bad but it's also not a Dom Post mask. You know, it's somewhere between the two. I mean, from a distance, I think with a bit of makeup and some more sympathetic lighting, it would look pretty good. But it's also still pretty cool. And... Here is another guy that is ready to play with Dom. Exactly,
0: yeah, because Dom is just talking about his hands being like, oh, it must be really you know, difficult to pick your nose.
3: And he just goes, not at all. I, I just love this. It's just like Dom's like, is it okay to shake your hand? It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's game for this.
5: Andy Hutchinson, Games Master's resident special move expert, is with us. Uh, Andy, we know all about your moves. What about uh, Jack's, I think it is we've got first up here? Well, he's play. got three special moves. He's got his fireball. His ground slam and his grab. And of course, he's got that very special finishing move, which is the arm decapitation. Oh, well, we'll uh, look forward to that one. So best of luck to Baraka and Duff. Let's start the fight. But Dom
3: once again takes the commentary position and joining him is Andy Hutchinson, who is apparently Gamesmaster's resident special moves expert. Dave Perry must have been fuming when he heard that. He's the beat-em-up guy. I was genuinely shocked not to see him. In this episode, maybe, maybe originally they had said to him, Hey, can you be Baraka? So he was off blue petering a Baraka costume. And that's why he (laughs) missed the recording for episode one. I will take one exception with, I like Andy's commentary in all of this. Actually, I like actually the
0: commentary on this whole show, because this does feel like mates having a laugh while they're doing the commentary. And that's great. Andy though, when talking us through his uh, moves, you know, he is the, uh, the expert here does say that Jack's special move there is arm decapitation. Now just looking at uh, Webster's definition of the word decapitation uh, also known as beheading is the separation of the head from the body. So you can't decapitate arms.
3: Now the faux pas on games master concerns me. It also concerns me that you felt the need to look at Webster's to clarify that.
0: <laughs> well I just thought it'd be good to, you know, just to really get an
3: official statement on this so I can, you know, I can push the the glasses up the bridge of my nose. That is that is fair enough but yes arm decapitation does not as a rule, happen unless we're kind of in a Herbert West reanimator kind of situation, in which case, you know, arms and heads being grafted together. It it does happen. Or uh finishing finishing movies that he rips someone's arm off and then
0: decapitates someone with their own arm. That would be an arm decapitation.
3: I don't know if that's been done in Mortal Kombat yet, but if it hasn't, I reckon we could probably get it in there. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, it seems like, especially if someone is a, if it's a golf-based character and he's like swings it like a golf club and says four as he does it, I think it writes itself.
3: Or just something like Tiger Woods ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Now the fight gets underway. This isn't your standard best two out of three falls. There's already one round on the marker each, much like something we saw back in seasons one and two, where they want to kind of keep things speeding along a bit. I think this is a really smart move as well, because it
0: means every fight can end with a finish him. I think that's a really nice way because this is most likely a review board. So it's probably not like full game style of things. So I I think it's really nice for us to have that. So every single fight can end with either. And every fight does end with a fatality. This isn't like series three when we opened up with um, Mortal Kombat, where it was like, we might get a fatality. We might not, it comes up with finishing. They might just get a little doof. Every single one of these lads knows what they're doing here.
3: Now, either Richard or Baraka know how to play this game or his joypad isn't plugged in. I genuinely couldn't tell you which because this guy was a geek. This guy was a, a graphic designer and a gamer and stuff. So it is entirely plausible that he would be in a position where he could be this good at his own game. I totally buy it. I totally buy that it's him. I might be completely off base, but I totally
0: buy it. He is someone who has been in this game. He's been with Midway. He's worked on these games for a number of years now. He probably knows how to play them fairly well.
3: But in this one round to a literal finish, Baraka takes it, finish him, and boom, our first fatality of season four. And-
5: Takes a
0: first good fight, that. Really, really enjoyed it. It was very even, it felt like at times. And because like, it's the Snares version, there's just blood everywhere. I, the We get three cracking fights here. Really, really good because not only is, uh, well, we presume Baraka's very good at this. These three lads are actually pretty solid in Mortal Kombat 2. There's no shaky hands here. They know what they're doing. They've all got their characters. They all know how to do their moves. And, it, I, you know, had, had this come down to you know the other lad winning i think he'd have done a fatality as well
3: yeah they certainly seemed prepped for it and how tight these fights were was really really impressive but daniel takes the hot seat next baraka is still playing as baraka but daniel is playing newcomer kung lao now
0: uh and he and dom get a little bit distracted during this fight because there's a cloaked figure at the back of the like in the sort of the background of this and dom's just dom sees it and just like ah. Oh, here's a, here's a chance for us to do a bit of a
3: routine rather than just commenting on the fight. It was like...
5: And there's a block with a clock on in the back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's actually an Avon lady.
3: <laughs> do you know what teenagers <laughs> love in 1994, Luke? It's Avon lady jokes. I know, but like, there's something very wonderfully
0: 90s about that. I laughed. Yeah, I laughed as well, <laughs> yeah. Like, again... Back and forth action. Really, really enjoyed this fight. Feels very, very evening. But Kung Lao, Daniel takes this fight and does his fatality as well. We are off to a fucking flying start on this series.
3: Yeah, Baraka absolutely gets deli-countered on this one. He's just, he's wafer-thin, sliced. Daniel looks elated. And Baraka, poor bastard, is trying to emote through the mask. (laughs) yeah.
0: So we get to our final fight, which is Zen, who's playing as Kitana. And this feels like an excuse for Dom and Andy to make lots of fan puns.
5: Oh, this it's fan crazy, ahoy, number one Come, with sun now. It's fantastic out
3: there. I'm with it. Dad jokes, they're cool. I'm down with the puns. <laughs>
0: I think it works better than the Avon lady stuff. I I mean, again, I was really laughing at this. I'm laughing at the commentary, but I'm also really enjoying the fight. Because again, it's more back and forth stuff. It's really, really even. Baraka wins and the camera cuts to Baraka, who turns to Zen with this evil look in his eye. But he doesn't do a fatality.
3: It's friendship. I absolutely love that moment. And I'll be honest. I think the footage of Baraka turning to Zen was from earlier when he was sitting down, but we dogged on the production team so much in Series 3. I don't think it was unjustified. They made some absolutely horrific choices, but so far in Series 4, from the set to the lighting to the camera angles to the production, maybe some of the edits are a little bit too sharp for my liking, Mm -hmm. but they're on point. They're not making stupid mistakes. And this was a beautiful little character moment. It was kind of telegraphed by the friendship being shown in the introduction by gamesmaster. And as soon as I saw that, the first time watching this back since probably it was originally broadcast, my brain went, oh, so we're going to see a friendship on one of these. Yeah, I think so.
5: Okay, now we're left for our three challengers. Okay, first of all, from Duff and Zen, a quick excuse as to your uh, poor performance, Duff. Well, he's got me a dress and he's got a few hard mates as well. <laughs> That's fair enough. I understand that. Zen? I just didn't want to hurt
1: him, because he wouldn't speak to me again otherwise.
5: That's true, and because you like making friends through Mortal Kombat 2. Well, that's it, yeah. So that's fine. And finally, Daniel, uh, you sliced him in half in the end. Yeah. Is this uh, normal behaviour for a a lad with your hairstyle? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, fine, The less said about that, the better then. When he gets to Daniel, Daniel has very little to say, and this is such a Dominic Diamond Series 4 line, which is just like, is slicing people in half very normal for a person with your hairstyle? And Daniel clearly actually caught a little off guard, just goes, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But he's the only one of our guys here to win a Games Master Golden Joystick. Uh, what a fun opening challenge that was. I As I said, like, we are off to a great start here.
3: We are off to a great start. And we also get a clearer look at Dom's Little Helpers for season four. The poisoned imps in the robes. And Daniel has to really yank the joystick out of their hands, which I loved. And obviously, they're meant to be little demons, and they can't do really prosthetics, so they're just wearing hoods and you know, they're like little Jawas. No, it wasn't Jawas that they reminded me of. It was the tall man's assistants in Phantasm. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. And then I'm looking at Dominic with his very tight fitting suit, and I'm just like, nah, it can't <laughs> be deliberate. But I do love these little dudes because right through this episode and future episodes, these guys are doing stuff. They are (laughs) doing routines. They are not just standing there. They're not just appearing to dismiss people or produce joysticks. They're always around and they're always doing little bits. It's
5: great. If we were being harsh, we'd say that Alien v Predator was a doom rip-off trotted out to boost flagging Jaguar sales, But we're not, so we won't. You can play three different characters, you can be an alien, a predator or a marine. With the marine you get tall up with some excellent weapons, you've got some great guns and you get some really creepy moments as you walk around this rather dark and eerie space station. Walking around the space colony you don't get to see that many aliens or predators. They're really rather spaced out and when they do come and attack you they're normally in groups of three or four. Um, This does tend to make for rather boring gameplay as you know you're just walking around with absolutely nothing to do. Alien versus Predator has a lot of problems, but I think they're sort of uh, eased by the overall size of the game and the amount of challenge that's there. It's probably the only thing in the Jaguar that's actually
1: worth the cost of the cartridge.
0: We mentioned him earlier when we were talking about the Games Master Magazine. Tim Tucker and Adrian Price of Games Master Magazine are in the review zone, along with Frank O'Connor from Ultimate Future Games reviewing a game that's come up a lot on this show. And I don't think we're going to get a lot of Atari Jaguar reviews here, but it is AVP, which we got, you know, we got a, like a, an in-development feature for it, I think, towards the end of Series 3. Now here it is, in its full form. And as Dominic Diamond puts it, it's a Doom ripoff to try and uh, aid flagging Jaguar
3: sales. I love that intro. You know, this isn't a game they were paid to promote. This is a case of, yeah, this game is out. The Jaguar's kind of crap, but we'll review it anyway. We did did talk at length about AVP during the preview feature, which is amazing, really, and probably means we should watch a bit further ahead because that was a crowded episode and we could have probably done with the extra time back. (laughs) It is not the worst game to carry the AVP license, but it's also not the best the games that follow on the pc are infinitely better
0: i, I think it's interesting as well that this game was born out of the lynx like basically the, the lynx was meant to get a handheld port of the arcade and the snes game and instead the uh james hampton kind of took him and was like well i mean we could do this or we could make a brand new game for the jaguar i found an interview with james hampton um who has a really i i found this to be really really fun to read because He kind of gives his reasons or his thoughts as to why the Jaguar didn't work and why Atari just never really mastered the 90s home console market. He said that Atari was a company stuck in time. They reached stellar heights with the 2600 and in turn resisted the realities of making more complex games for systems that were much more capable. This disconnect in philosophy influenced the decisions made early on the set that Jaguar on the course for its demise. Instead of giving dev teams a leg up on their projects, there was this basic idea that any programmer who needed such tools was an idiot. Instead of accepting that Jaguar titles were going to be more complex and demanded larger development teams that need bigger budgets and more time to build things in, they decided they were on the 2600 era, thinking that four internal programmers meant they expected four games to be made in six months, with an unfinished game console still in development. I think that explains a lot of why the the Jaguar didn't work. If Atari were basically saying that, like, well, we used to have, like, one guy making a game for the 2600, and he would do it in five weeks, you know, looking at E.T., why can't you do it in five weeks? What, you some sort of idiot and you need a big team to be able to do this?
3: If, if they were doing that, holding up E.T. was probably a mistake, as an example, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, one guy did make it in five weeks, and it killed you as a company. Yeah, exactly. But Tim Tucker runs down the character choice and bigs up the choice of the Marine from weapons to the overall creepy experience. Adrian Price from Games World magazine says that when walking around the colony, you don't get to see that many aliens or predators. They're quite spaced out and usually only attack in small groups. And Frank O'Connor says the game has a lot of problems, but those problems are eased by the overall size and the amount of challenge that's there. And then the most damning line of the review. Yeah, it's the
0: only thing on the Jaguar that's worth the price of the car." Certainly better than things like Trevor McFur. That is, yeah, that's a proper damning statement there. Like 80, 83% is a really, really good score. And we've said it many times on this show. It's probably outside of Tempest 2000 the best game on the Atari Jaguar. Games
3: Master Magazine also reviewed it in the very issue we were talking about earlier. They seem to like it a bit more. Marcus, the guy that reviewed Mortal Kombat 2, was also reviewing this one. And for graphics, it got nine. For sounds, it got nine. For playability, it got nine. For last ability, it got nine. Wow, this guy's going nine crazy in his reviews. It scored 1% more than Mortal Kombat 2. It was 95%. No way! His overall summary says, you'd have to be rhino-scrubbingly mad not to enjoy this game. Simple blasting fun at its most atmospheric and the best alien license. I'm sorry, but I now have an unnerving desire to go and lie down in a quiet, damp place to recover. Wow, that is high praise indeed. And interestingly, no box outs in this one with comments from other people. So clearly they just let him have... I bet you he was the only person that actually like wanted to review Jaguar games. So they just went, you,
5: yeah. you do you, Marcus. Now we have the very maturely titled Balls. A few years ago, I would have made some pathetic joke about this title, but I'm grown up now, you'll be pleased to hear. God! Oh, God! Characters are particularly quirky in Balls. There's um, ostriches, clowns, strongmen, scorpions, and they all have attack patterns and special moves that sort of relate to the kind of character they are. This works quite well, and it makes for a bit of a novelty, along with, obviously, the 3D aspect of the game. It's fluid, it's fast, it's, like Virtua Fighter, very difficult to control, and it takes a long time to get used to it, but once you do it, it's actually really good fun.
0: Up next, we've got Balls on the Mega Drive. Now, Dominic says here that a few years ago he'd have made jokes about the title, but I'm all grown up now. Are we sure about that?
3: Well, he's not making jokes about this title. No. Other titles are fair game, though. <laughs> yeah. I um, I
0: actually had balls on the Mega Drive. <laughs> I, not, at the, not at the time. Um, <laughs> not at the time. You,
3: you didn't have balls at the time. It was a different age, wasn't it, Luke?
0: Yeah, not, not on the Mega Drive at the very least. But I, uh, uh, my local video game store was called Virtual Games, and I held on to the Mega Drive for a long old time. I didn't level up to the PlayStation until after Resi 2 had come out so that would have been 98 ish maybe so i was still mega drive through and through and that meant that i could go down to virtual games that were still selling mega drive games and i could fill out my mega drive library for pretty cheap prices like the most expensive you'd have to pay for a game is a tenner so i was getting like most games for a fiver and you could swap games in and this and the other so like i was i did quite well at racking them up and i've told this story in the podcast before but he was also a very kind that he was just one man that worked there that if you played a game and I took it home because it was only a five minute walk from my house, I didn't like it. I'd just go back and be like, this is a bit cack. And he'd go like, yeah, just pick something else out instead then. Lovely. It was really, really good because like I remember I've got, um, I remember getting Alien Storm, which I actually quite liked, but I took it back to him a week later being like to trade it in for something else. And he was like, it is a bit cack, isn't it? And I was like, oh, actually, I quite liked Alien Storm. And we had like quite a good uh, dialogue about it. He was a really nice guy. I wonder what ever happened to him. Balls was one of the games that I picked up from there because it was a game that I hadn't played before, so I picked it up, I took it home, and I really liked it. I had a lot of fun playing. I had I, this is one of the ones that I kept hold of for quite a while. Um, see, so yeah, I was quite quite thrilled to see it here.
3: And obviously, here we're seeing the Mega Drive version being reviewed. There was a SNES version as well. There was actually a bit of a censorship deal between the Mega Drive and the SNES version
0: yeah the snes one had
3: to like change it's like the way that it opens
0: up because they didn't want to get, what was it it was like to be the champion you've got to have balls so they were like yeah let's change that to just you've got to play this game balls
3: yeah that that <laughs> was that was essentially the summary of it but luke there was a 3do version of this a director's cut if you will
0: it was yeah and it's probably the best version of the game actually it's, it's wonderfully 90s because it's got, you know, crazy characters and a farting monkey. That, that sort of like, you know, Ren and Stimpy style, Earthworm Jim kind of humor that we can talk about a bit later on as well. The reviews for it were very positive. But for me, the thing that I didn't know about this until I was doing some research into it is that it was designed to be an online game. It was designed for the Edge 16 because PF Magic, who made the game, were working with Sega and AT&T on this edge 16 which was a device that you slotted into the top of your mega
3: drive i wonder if it would have also slotted into the top of the 32x so you could have like really stacked them all up i mean that's the sort of tower of power you need planning permission for
0: yeah too sweet to be sour funky like a monkey a farting monkey and the idea was then you would (laughs) you would play these games over the internet with control signals being sent through phone lines and microphones and this that and the other um it was sh- like Winter CES, which we covered in Series 3, it was shown there. It was actually shown at the Summer CES in 93. And that one there had a keyboard for it and everything. Although the keyboard, as far as I could tell, wasn't at the Winter CES. And people who went to the Winter CES got to play balls there and play it against other people in this sort of like online capacity. And it was ready for release. It was ready to come out. And then AT&T decided, nah, we don't want to get involved in the uh, video game market. And without AT&T, without a phone line provider, the thing
3: was done and it was dead in the water and never came out. The graphical style on this game is fairly interesting. I mean, it's called balls because all the characters are made of, you know, balls. And it is very much like a very spherical Virtua Fighter. Some people liked the look, some people didn't. It was both new and dated at the same time. But this technology would not go away because PF Magic would use it again for games that did sell a lot more. And did really kind of stick around for a while because they used it for their Cats, Dogs, and Pets series. Basically, when people went, Do you remember Tamagotchi's? How about you have one of those on your Windows desktop that's really annoying when you're trying to do a spreadsheet? Tim Tucker, he likes the characters in this game. He thinks they're quite quirky ostriches, clowns, strongmen, scorpions, and they all have attack patterns that relate to them. Quite novel, really. Frank O'Connor says it's fluid, fast. But much like Virtua Fighter, very difficult to control and takes a long time to get used to. But once you do, it's really good fun, 80%.
0: I think that is a very, very fair score for this game. I haven't played it in a number of years. Like, I'm, you know, looking at probably last time I played it would have been that sort of 97, 98 period. But yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I don't know if I would still have fun with it now. I wonder if it's dated quite horribly.
3: I know I must have played it, but I honestly couldn't tell you what I thought of it at the time, which is probably not the worst indicator, but also not the best. It just means it it didn't really make an impact, really.
5: Finally, we know Smash Tennis has been out for a while, but we'll still review it, A, because it's fab, and B, because we feel like it. All the shots are under your fingers. You've got buttons for lobs, you've got slices, top spin, all sorts of play. You can play at the net, you can play at the back of the court doubles, singles, it's all there. Apart from just being a great tennis simulation, Smash Tennis has a lot of hidden secret options and bonuses. Yeah. For example, on the beach course, you can hit the palm tree, knock a coconut out, and you, you don't get any points or anything, but it's just a nice little touch. On a rainy Saturday night, this would probably be an ideal game. You can invite some of your friends, right, and plug them all tough in, and away you go.
0: Now we've had some huge scores on this episode of the podcast already with the reviews of Mortal Kombat 2 in the magazine and AVP in the magazine and we get another huge score here for a game that's a year old at this point. And like they they're quite upfront about it. You know, Dominic opens by saying like, yeah, this has been out for a while, but we want to review it on the show because it's fab that this feels like such a Dominic Diamond entry into the show to be like, I wasn't around when this game was released, so I wasn't here to push this into the review zone. But I want this to be in the review zone now because this game is awesome. And I really, really like it. Like this game was reviewed in the September issue of Games Master from 93. It's not even a couple of months old.
3: This is like old hat at this point, even though the game is really, really good. Although weirdly, as good as this game is, it didn't actually become available in America officially until it appeared on the Switch Online, the SNES section of uh, the Switch Online service, which I yeah. didn't know. I was just like, really? this? Di- I mean, we got it. Japan got it because it's a Japanese uh, franchise. Quite a long running one. There are SNES entries and all sorts on there. Yeah, this is like the fifth one of the franchise. So yeah, it blew my mind that it just never appeared in America because
0: yeah it's a great game yeah i found chris scullion's review for it where he said super tennis might not be the first game most people think about when it comes to 16-bit recreations of the sport but smash tennis is its equal in almost every respect and perhaps even trumps in terms of charm control number of players and so on its absence in america until now kept it firmly under many players radars but make no mistake this is one of the best 16-bit sports games full stop and here, they are so praising of this. But I love Adrian's review of it when he's like, it's perfect for a Saturday night with a multi-tap. Like, and that is what you want from a good tennis game.
3: Couple of mates round, couple of beers in, multi-tap, four-player mixed doubles. And by that, I just mean shot of whiskey, shot of vodka. You're laughing all night until you, you pass out at 15 love. Everyone loves it. Adrian loves it. Tim loves it. He gives a rundown on the versatility of the controls. Frank says that in addition to it being a great tennis simulation, he mentioned some of those hidden little extras, including the ability to knock coconuts out of a tree. Does bugger all for the game, but it's kind of fun and it is a little bit of attention to detail that I appreciate. Like an Easter egg. Exactly, yeah.
0: 95% for this. A huge score for Smash Tennis. Absolute whopper. What a fun little set of reviews we've just had yeah really really enjoyed that so hopefully that uh, our celebrity challenge will follow up that very nicely but what on earth are we going to play games master for my second
4: challenge i've picked a game that runs circles around the opposition and leave other footballing games on the bench super sidekicks 2 on the neo geo the contrasting styles of brazil and england will come together today now I'll be looking for players to make the most of the variety of moves they have available to them. Most importantly, strikers must use their special chance option, which, um, if activated, gives goal-hungry players a pot-shot on goal. Right, players, let's give it 110%, or the dog gets it.
0: I um, I actually played Super Sidekicks 2 in preparation for this podcast. I played it on my new emulator, my little handheld emulator. All its art, it's very, very difficult to play. I've got
3: much more respect now for these two lads playing this because I sucked at it. That's because they want those quarters, they want those 50ps. They you know this was a this was an arcade game. They wanted you to keep putting those uh those coins in. But yeah, this is Super Sidekicks 2, it's the 94 arcade game. It is very clearly an SNK game you look at this game and it's like well this is from the house of Neo Geo and SNK it takes an arcade style approach to football it allows players to choose any of the available game modes and you can either play against other humans or against the computer it has in theory quite a simple control system mainly because the Neo Geo at this point only had three buttons so really that was all you were going to get It obviously came out for the Neo Geo arcade platform. It came out for the home system. There was also a version released for the Neo Geo CD. And whilst, yes, it is hard as nails, it was also very popular with both players and critics alike, with praise being particularly directed towards the improvements made over its predecessor. And it wasn't the end of the road because there was a third game called Super Sidekicks 3, The Next Glory, which was released next year. I mean, by that, I mean 95, not 2022. That would be quite a delay.
5: Because it's the first show in the series, we are in an extra special guest type situation. Please welcome the star of My Blue Heaven, gag tag, do the right thing, and fantasy football. All these shows and not one daz commercial inside. Frank Skinner. Hello, hey, hey, hey. Frank. Dominic. Now, what Frank, did you ask? I was just a sort of a gothic tease was, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> Listen, Frank. I was basically like all the shows uh, that you're doing. Possibly the most interesting thing for me is what was it like to work with the legend that is Terry Wogan? Well, I was very excited when I first got there. I just wanted to touch the hem of his garment, you know. But when I got used to it, he's in fact a very lovely man. And I think we could all learn a lot from him, Dominic, you know. Especially about hair pieces. Meaning what? exactly?
0: (laughs) And we have got an extra special guest on our hands here. It is fantasy football host Frank Skinner. Uh, Funny enough, actually, before I started recording this, um, it's 25 years since the release of Three Lions which was Baddiel and Skinner and the Lightning Seed song for Euro 96. And I, and I retweeted that earlier being like, football has never been better than this. And seeing Frank Skinner on my TV here, 1994 talking about football. This is like, this is the period of time where I am interested in football. And Frank Skinner is kind of the, I, I think I know Frank Skinner more from a football side of things than I do a comedy stand up side of things.
3: I mean, at this point in time, he was all over TV as well. I mean, when Dom introduces him, he rattles off the list of all the shows he's on and then follows it with, and not a dad's commercial in sight, which I think was taking a pot shot at Danny Baker. It was, yeah. Because he does another one a bit later on as well. And thing is, Frank doesn't just arrive by walking onto stage. Oh no, he's on a boat. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so there's like this canal that the boat sort of arrives up in, like it's it's the River Styx.
3: It is a really cool visual. And we already had the Avon lady joke earlier, which I'm not sure how it would have gone over with teens. But then we get Frank Skinner arriving and looking at the set around him and going, oh, it's like a gothic (laughs) Tiswas." Kids are 94, they love Tiswas. Luke. Come on, Frank, mate. Know your audience. Dom liked it. And to be honest, so did I. But, you know... I'm wearing a cardigan now so what does that say? Dom does get straight to the meat and potatoes of this though and asks him what it's like to work with the legend that is Terry Wogan. I mean who doesn't love
0: Terry Wogan? My my parents were Wogan listeners of a morning and it was a very comforting bit of radio on radio too, just to wake up with Wogan in the morning and like, you know, 5am or whatever it was, just very nicely and softly spoken radio.
3: I miss him on Eurovision the most. Yes. Because you could hear the sobriety disappearing as the night goes on. Yeah. What the hell was that? But despite apparently being in awe of him, as I think we all would have been, Frank learned that once you got to know him, he was a very lovely man and we could all learn a lot from him. He says, giving Dominic a very, very pointed look. And I feel there's a story there.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's right. I don't think he's wrong either. We can all learn something from Terry Wogan. Especially about hairpieces.
3: But yeah, 1994 Frank Skinner, Fantasy Football League was bursting onto our screen at this point in time and would remain there off and on until 2004. A 10-year run is nothing to be sniffed at. Yeah, that's not a bad run at all, really. That's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, and it'd be him, it'd be David Bedil and Stato, the statician. Some of the jokes in fantasy football have not aged well. Uh, some of them he has apologised for because, uh, yeah, oh, 90s blackface. Mm.
0: Yeah, there's well, a lot of that.
3: Yeah, but he was born in West Bromwich. He grew up in Oldbury. He was the youngest of four children and he has two older brothers and an older sister called Nora. He became a full-time performer in 1989. He suffered a really bad bout of influenza, which amongst other things caused him to give up drinking because he was at that point an alcoholic. But bouncing back, he won the 1991 Perrier Award at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, fending off Jack Dee and Eddie Izzard. That's some comedy powerhouses to win over right there. I was going to say, those are two titans. As you already mentioned, Three Lions, which he co wrote with fantasy football co host David Badil and British pop legends, The Lightning Seeds. I say legends with a question mark because I love The Lightning Seeds, but I know a lot of people that really hate The Lightning Seeds and I don't understand what they find so offensive about them.
0: No, my brother is not a Lightning Seeds fan. Uh, He used to make fun of me, in fact, for listening to The Lightning Seeds back in the day, particularly Life of Riley, because he's like, isn't this the cricket song? But I love The Lightning Seeds. In fact, I might be seeing the Lightning Seeds live very, very soon. You bastard! Where are they playing? There's a festival uh, that Tom Kerridge does called Pub in the Park, which is essentially pubs doing little pop-ups in a park with live music. And the Lightning Seeds are one of the headline acts. There's the Lightning Seeds. I think Craig David is doing one of the nights. And James Martin of Saturday Kitchen fame, his band are also playing on the bill as well. So there's your, your mates with Tom Carriage connection. But yeah, Lightning Seeds are headlining and bloody hell like three lions man what an absolute tune to the point when we we did quite well in the world cup a couple of years ago and i went to i got one myself some tickets to go and watch the game being shown at hyde park with it being on the big screens and everything and there were like food trucks and this that, and the other with the night that we got knocked out and the lightning seeds played there as well they came out to do a special performance of three lions even though you know it's like nearly 20 years on at that point everyone's like that's still like the best song that we have ever had to like uh cheer us on uh in a, in a european or world cup tournaments i mean it's been released what two three times they did a 98 version which had like updated lyrics but those i think those were the only times that the lightning seeds and badil and skinner actually did it i think they just like re-released it It kind of does need some updated lyrics now because it's very 96 and 98 centric. It's still a fair banger though. Oh, so good. I don't want anyone else doing it though. Like if the lightning seeds are going to redo Three Lions, it has to be with Badil and Skinner. And I love David Baddiel on Taskmaster. Like anytime he has to do like a music based task, he would always bring
3: up, I've got several number ones, you know. Well, I mean, he's got one number one just charted <laughs>
5: several times. Yeah. <laughs> OK, well, you'll be playing a very lovely person tonight, Frank, oh, actually. Marvellous. Please welcome Hugh Williams. OK, now, Hugh, um, Frank's obviously from Fantasy Football. You're playing a football game tonight. Who do you support?
4: Um, well, I did support Aldershot.
5: But they're, they're, not, they're not in the league anymore? No, very sadly, it was an upsetting time. He got kicked out, didn't he? Uh,
4: yeah,
0: unfortunately. But Frank's going to be playing against Hugh Williams, who comes in, and he supports Aldershot but they've just been kicked out of the league. So to Wikipedia, I went to read the entry on this. Aldershot were without a team in 1992 after they folded. Aldershot Town was born in 1992. Despite Aldershot Town playing five divisions lower than the Football League, the attendance for their first competitive fixture was higher than the old team's last home tie. They made it to the conference in 2003.
3: Yeah, to actually have a football team fully go bankrupt. That's That's an achievement. Well done, Aldershot. Well done. That's that's
5: special. Right, while I advise Frank on suitable pension plans, we'll take a quick commercial break.
3: Or the most singular thing in a finger is... Chocolate Fingers,
0: the Fingular Biscuit from Cadbury.
5: Cadbury's dairy milk.
4: Would you show your whites to the rest of Britain? The Des Doorstep Challenge is here to ask just that. (laughs) <laughs> wow, that was a reaction! <laughs> oh dear me! I'm Danny Baker, by the way. <laughs> Had I known, I would have put some
5: makeup on, I would have come back.
4: <laughs> the challenge is, how white are your whites? Have you got something you could show us now?
5: Well, I'm just busy ironing at the moment. Yes. doctor I vest. Is that okay?
4: Would that take much cleaning?
5: Well, there have been times when she sort of sat in her underwear and drank juice and it's gone down the front. Oh,
4: well, proof right there, I'd have said. I don't have to guess which powder you use, do I? That's... I... I was ahead of you there. <laughs> Would well, you whites watch past the Daz doorstep challenge? Ends did.
5: <laughs> Welcome back. Our special guest tonight is Frank Skinner, star of every single TV show in Britain this year. He'll be playing against Hugh Williams. He hasn't starred in any TV shows this year, apart from this one, but he is actually quite a nice bloke. Brad Button from Amiga Action is in the dugout with me. Brad. Give us some tips on what's the best way of scoring on Super Sidekicks 2. I think what you've got to do here, Dominic, is you're going to have to get hold of that ball, keep hold of that ball, and whack it in the net. That's the bottom line, really, mate. Very clever one there, Brad. Brad Burton's gone
3: up in the world. He's, he's graduated from the review zone to the commentary booth. He doesn't look too happy to be there, though, and Dom does turn him to him and ask him for his tactics for the game, and his tactics are thus. Get hold of the ball, keep hold of the ball, whack it in the net. It's not the worst advice. No, maybe we should get him as England manager because you know that maybe that's what we've been missing all these years. But Frank is going to be playing as England, while Hugh is Brazil, and the
0: game features this uh, gimmick where if you get close to the um, like the penalty box or something, or you get like within range, you get this little thing that comes up and says "chance." If you press the right button, then it goes into this sort of like targeting system game where you can guide the ball into the goal all of the goals basically come from that in this game. Like Brazil score very, very early using that. But then England equalized very, very quickly afterwards. And it cuts back to Hugh and Frank, who are selling this so good. Like Frank is proper laughing his ass off. He He seems to be really enjoying himself. There are a
3: couple of mates playing a football game on a Neo Geo. It's lovely. I mean, they're not mates as far as we know, but it's the vibe they're giving off. One thing that all the goals scored have in common during the main part of this challenge is that the goalkeepers are cardboard cutouts. They do not move. And I can only assume it's because neither of them know how to control the goalkeepers in regular match play. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking as well. Because I had that note as well for the
0: second half. It was basically like, anytime they shoot, they score. Because the keepers just stay perfectly still, like the statues that they are. We get to full time at 2-all. Really, really fun, actually. I really enjoyed that as a, as a game of football. But it means that we're going to go to sudden death pens. And this is like, the animation of this is
3: lovely. Really, really nice. The animation is great. And as much as I normally hate penalties, because no, no one likes going out on penalties, it's a bollocks way to go out. And yeah, I'm saying that because it seems to be mostly how we end up going out of major tournaments. But this gets really really tense and they've worked out how the goalkeepers work because although frank misses his first one he does
0: save his second one i was like go ahead frank we might get a celebrity win here if you can keep this up you you might need to score but at least you've worked out the keeper he sadly then just blasts it straight at the keeper again but then frank saves again (laughs) i can almost feel at this point dom and brad being like are any of them going to score? Are we just going to have this ad nauseum of just them constantly missing?
3: Well, you say that, but Frank takes his third shot and he fakes Hugh out. The keeper dives right, but the ball goes left. And if Hugh fails to score with this next shot, things are not looking good. But Hugh scores. Yep, so it continues.
0: Then Hugh saves and then Hugh Finally scores. It's all over. He wins the joystick. I had a lot of fun with all of that.
5: Right now, Hugh, it was very tense at the end there. Penalty was, shootout. What was... what was going through your mind well, that, that final penalty?
4: I was worried about Frank all the way along, but I knew with his comedy routine and everything else, it was just quick speed that he was relying on, and I was relying on the skill. Skill
5: won the day. Frank. Well, one of the problems I had was that I didn't realise that we weren't going to change ends at half time. So I spent the first half of the second half attacking my own goal, right? Which was a bit of a mistake. And Frank, in his defence, and this is
3: a very valid defence, is he didn't realise that at half time they weren't going to change ends. So he actually spent the first bit of the second half attacking his own goal.
0: Yeah. I wonder if, like, like it didn't, I didn't see a lot of that. So I wonder if that was just excised from the edits.
3: They probably thought, well, the penalties go quite long and it just makes him look like an idiot.
0: Yeah, and Frank's here for a reason. He's not here to look like an idiot. He is here to plug his new tour.
5: And now tell us about the tour you've got coming up, Frank. I, I start touring, I start in Guildford on October the 1st <laughs> and I do uh, 56 dates in two months. So. Is, that, is that the biggest tour ever? I think it's the biggest tour ever in the world by yeah. anybody. <laughs> All right, best of luck with our Frank. Cheers.
3: The biggest tour ever, 56 dates in two months. Ah, uh, bloody hell! That's a lot of dates. And he's starting in Guildford. Yeah, not a bad place to start. It's not too no. far from where I used to live, actually. No, it's not. It's not the worst place to live, but it just feels like an odd place because he doesn't, as far as I know, have any real connection to Guildford. Like some people start and start or end in their hometown or start in a big city, but no, he's starting in Guildford.
0: I, uh, I had a lot of fun with that. I really enjoyed that as a celebrity challenge. I thought Frank was really good. I thought the game was good. I thought that coming down to penalties was a lot of fun commentary wasn't like anything special but
3: i i I enjoyed that i enjoyed it too and also i enjoyed the demons coming out in their football scarves and (laughs) dancing i love (laughs) these guys i'm gonna like having these guys around this series is going to be too short because we're not going to have these guys again after series four but we're going to go up to the consultation zone but not before Dominic Diamond takes another swipe at Danny Baker.
5: Okay, now it's time for many burning questions from Super Mario to the continued employment of Danny Baker to be answered in the consultation zone.
0: Clearly, it's people named Danny that he's got a problem with because it's Baker and
3: Bear. Hey, Game nice. when I'm playing Mortal Kombat 2 on the Mega Drive, I keep seeing strange characters hiding behind the trees in the living woods level.
4: Who are they? The characters you see appearing are smoke... Oh and Jade, an common that only the privilege can access. To unleash smoke, keep an eye out for the little child who pops up now and then, shouting toast. As soon as he appears, you must press start and down together. Instantly, you will find yourself face to face with smoke. You can only reach Jade if you're playing a one-player game. Work your way through the battle plan until you're fighting the character proceeding the mysterious question mark. Now, here's the trick. Defeat your opponent using only low kicks, and lo and behold, you'll be transported to face J.
3: Toasty! First tip being on Mortal Kombat 2, it was our first game of the series, and guess what, Luke? It's going to be our second tip as well, as the second person on the dock also has a query about Mortal Kombat 2.
5: I've heard there's a secret mode on Mortal Kombat 2 on a SNES
4: where you transform into a different character when you get beat. Indeed there is. Turn on your console while holding down the left and right buttons. Keep holding them and after a few seconds you'll be greeted by the figure of Shang Zhang. Now when you enter the game you'll find yourself in the secret two-player tournament mode where you can select a team of four players to fight you.
0: That? Yeah, what he's looking for is a mode where you can transform into different characters when you get beat, almost as if it's like a tag team uh, version of Mortal Kombat.
3: You you had issue about decapitation of arms earlier. Sure did. Now now is my moment to, uh, to push my glasses up my nose and uh, look it up in the good book of my head and common sense because Games Master says that to do this, you switch on your console while holding down the left and right buttons and if you keep holding them down, you'll be greeted by the character of Shang Tsung. Yeah. That is not Shang Tsung. No, it that is not. That is Shao Khan or Kintaro. Both of them yeah. are on the screen. And oh, hang on. Maybe he's smarter than us. Maybe it's Shang Tsung disguised as <laughs> Shao Khan <laughs> Or Kintaro. Could, I mean, it could be. That's not the case. All of the YouTube comments
0: on this are just like, uh, I think you'll find. Glasses up the nose. That is
3: Shao Kahn, actually. I love how you go full Boise when you do that, <laughs> Marlene. I think you'll find. Yeah, a lot of love for Mortal Kombat 2. And that's it for the
0: consultation zone, our first of series four. But it's time for our final challenge. What are we playing,
4: Games Master? Tonight's final challenge is on the much awaited to TV Earthworm Gym. Two contestants will have 60 seconds each to collect as many neutron capsules as possible on the first level of this humorous platform run. Players who watch out for the dog at the start of the level will attempt to pull your pants down and waste valuable time. Good
1: luck!
0: Yes, I love Earthworm, Jim. I really, really, really do love this game. I've got no love for the man who created him, but I do love this game. And I, I, a bit of a confession at this point as well. I I have cheated somewhat with under-consultation over the year or so that we've been doing this. What? Well, I have a swear jar in, in saved when I'm doing the editing where I, I put in video game noises to cover up swears that we do. And... I only ever introduce games into the swear jar once the games are released in our timeline. So I've got Star Fox ones now because Star Fox or Star Wing has been released in the UK. I didn't do Mortal Kombat ones until Mortal Kombat was out. I did uh, ToeJam & Earl when we had ToeJam & Earl reviewed in series one. I've been playing it very much to try and be like it's so it's always in keeping. But pretty much since the start of this I've been using Earthworm Jim sound effects because they're really good sound effects to cover up. So if you've heard sound effects that sound like this. (laughs) Yeah, those are all from Earthworm Jim, and I shouldn't really have been using them if I was going by my own own rules that I set.
3: I would be disappointed in you, Luke, if I'd actually noticed. But as I didn't (laughs) notice, I don't really feel I've got any right to be disappointed in you. And to be fair, Earthworm Jim, despite its creator being a colossal douchebag, is a brilliant game.
0: Yeah, it is a really, really, really fun game. I've got so much love for it. I've played it a lot. I've played it a lot recently as well. I've been playing it on emulation going through. It really holds up. And our challenge here is you've got 60 seconds to get as much of the Neutron capsules as possible, which is basically your health. And you've got to watch out for the dog at the start of the level. A dog that I've got quite fond memories of because I got this game on December 14th, 1994. I got this for my eighth or ninth birthday it would have been in fact getting a mega drive game was a bit of a rarity for me i've told i've said it before but like i got sonic spinball for christmas 93 and that was a big deal because i got a game but that was the only mega drive game that i got between christmas and my birthday so i didn't get any other new releases i think my brother bought street fighter 2 but this is it so we get to like so me getting a mega drive game was a massive massive deal and the night before my birthday, because I knew I was getting uh, Earthworm Jim, I remember having this dream, and I remember this, I, I kid you not, this is a very, very vivid dream that I had, that I was in Goro's lair from the end of Mortal Kombat, and I had to like pass some challenges in order to get my prize of Earthworm Jim at the end. I was that excited to get this game. And annoyingly, it was a school day. So I was up early, I got my presents from my parents, and I was Earthworm Jim. And I got to plug it into my mega drive and play it for a little bit but then I had to turn it off and go to school and then just sitting at school all day long waiting waiting for me to be able to go home and I could finally give earthworm Jim a proper playthrough and it was a game that I was just I, I completely fell in love with fell in love with the character fell in love with the comics with the cartoon series I never got the figures but I was obsessed with the cartoon and just kind of like Everything around Jim, I just, I absolutely loved it. Do yourself a favor, don't look at how
3: much the figures are currently going for on eBay. Yeah, it's eye-watering. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've looked previously because I was like,
0: I, I did think to myself, not about a couple of years ago or so. Maybe it might have been uh, this year where I was like, I'm going to look and see if I can get some Earthworm Jim figures to, to put on my shelf behind me.
3: Yeah, you're right, they are, they're, they're quite, quite pricey now. You mentioned the cartoon series. The cartoon series ran for two seasons. It's great, and if you want to hear us talk about that in depth, then. The last under-consultation extra episode that we released was on Earthworm Jim as voted for by you, our listeners and patrons. And even though we haven't recorded it yet, I'm fair to say it's a good time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure we can go with that. We're recording it after we record this, in fact.
5: Playing Earthworm Jim tonight, we have Eddie Wheeler and Tim Diggle. <laughs> Welcome, Tim. Okay, now, Eddie, what would you like to do in your spare time? Oh, Go down to a local club, dance club. Dance club, but dance rave kind of thing? Just dance music, yep. that's all. Uh, Tim, um, we were talking before about crisps, funnily enough, weren't we? And uh, what'd you Remind us, what's your favourite type of crisps again? It has to be cheesy, what's it? Our players here are Eddie Wheeler and Tim Diggle.
0: Uh, and here again, it's nothing about the game, it's about how Eddie goes to local dance clubs
3: for dancing. And Dom does actually say, oh, dance, do you mean rave? And Eddie's very clear, it's like, no, dance. <laughs> yeah. None of your rave nonsense. There are no happy faces around those places. Far more interesting to us, I think, is that earlier Dom and Tim were talking about crisps and Tim confirms that his favourite crisp is a cheesy watsit. I disagree with Tim because a cheesy watsit is not a crisp.
0: Oh, What would you say
3: it is then? It's a snack. A crisp, but nine times out of ten, involves potato. Yeah, and this is a corn puff thing. Yes. Right, okay. So Tim is just breaking down society. That's what the end of man will be. See, now I would have just said he's wrong because I think Watts is a f***ing gross. No, I'll disagree with you there. I do like a cheesy Watson. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan.
0: Like, I don't like crisps where you get loads of dust on your hands and, oh, those are some dusty-ass crisps. They're not as bad as the nobler cousin in America, the Cheeto. Oh, I know, because my friend Denise Salcedo sent me some Cheetos fairly recently as a Christmas present, and the dust that came off of those my my fingers felt like they were red for weeks did you like the taste though oh i love the taste yeah but i've got to eat them with like rubber gloves or something so i don't get the crisp dust all over my gross hands kinky (laughs) (laughs) but you know at this point we'd expect to be jumping into the game action but no
5: we've got a feature about the making of earthworm jim Earthworm Jim is the latest creation from official rich Block Dave Perry, the man responsible for Aladdin and Cool Spot. Jim starts off as an earthworm, finds a spacesuit and gets transformed into a superhero. These things happen. As Earthworm Jim battles his way through 30 money spinning levels, you see a cute little puppy dog who turns a bit Rottweiler if you let him get hurt. He indulges in some head-to-head battles with Psycho Crow and there's five secret stages known as the Dark Rooms hidden in level 5. But what happens when Jim finally reaches his fairy tale princess? I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you.
0: Broby. Where
3: we get to put over Dave Perry, but not that Dave Perry. No, we're talking about the man responsible for Aladdin and Cool Spot, and we get a bit of background on Earthworm Jim, who starts as an earthworm, finds a spacesuit, and gets transformed into a hero. That's the plot. That's the plot. And you've just got to, you know, they tease the the big end
0: gag at the end with Princess What's Her Name and the the cow that you launch right at the start. An ending that I did not discover until many many years later because further confession time never completed earthworm gym when i was a kid it's too feckin hard. it is a tough game particularly the bob the <laughs> fucking goldfish level when you are like trying to get
3: around that water cabin thing it can proper fuck off. that's well hard. i'm wondering if that's why they showed a little bit of the end sequence because they were thinking out oh, most people will never see it because if
0: you get if you manage to get past that which i can i had which i did do the peter puppy level is just as freaking hard
3: I love Peter Puppy as a character. I mean, I love most of the characters in this, but Peter Puppy is a proper Jekyll and Hyde character. And as we'll have already discussed when we discuss it next, he's great in the cartoon as well.
0: So Earthworm Jim is a a fascinating character to look at because this is Playmates who had massive success with the Turtles in the 80s and sold a buttload of figures off the back of them are now looking at the waning popularity of the Turtles and thinking to themselves, well, what we want again is the Turtles. But rather than go the traditional route, which is what toy companies had done throughout the 80s, uh, the mid 80s in particular, into the sort of early 90s, which is we launch a cartoon off the back of it. Playmates were almost like looking into the future to be like, well, no, video games are the now. So we'll get a video game made of our toy line, and that is what we'll use to sell this, and we'll do a cartoon series of it later on. And it really worked out well for them because this became a huge, huge success because they were looking at like, you know, Sonic was a massive hit that and that spawned cartoons and, the, and toys and the other. And I think it was a really, really
3: smart move on their part. I didn't actually realize until, you know, much later, the, the way that this game came about. I just assumed it was a game and that game got turned into a cartoon and a toy range and and that was it like you know much like mario did or zelda did i just thought that was the way it went but no this was um this was the much more traditional kind of he-man and jason the wheeled warriors and that kind of route yeah transformers and things like that which was just like
0: well we've got a toy let's make a cartoon that's based off of that toy that will make the kids go to the store and want to buy the toys this is the other way around which is like it which is a quite a, it's it's a very dangerous thing, not a dangerous thing to do, but it's a very bold thing to do because you're asking for 50-60 quid up front for the advertising. Whereas like a cartoon, yeah, you're you're spending a lot, but it's then put on TV. So and kids are already watching TV anyway. They don't have to like put the money down up front to get it and get the marketing. But you mentioned there like Shiny had done a lot of work with Disney and 7 Up to do uh, Aladdin and um Jungle Book and Cool Spot and things like that. And it was working on those games that kind of gave them the freedom. Basically kind of like a lot of the, you know, the shackles that were put on them by Disney and 7-Up and things like that. are why Earthworm Jim is the way that it is. I found this interview from He Who Shall Not Be Named, who said that the key to Earthworm Jim is that we were cut loose to make our own game for the first time. We'd all done multiple licensed games from everyone to Disney to 7-Up so we were confined to a lot of content limitations. When we finally got to make our own thing, I think Jim reflected the energy of the eight shiny guys at that period of our life. We listened to Monty Python CDs, loved They Might Be Giants, Beastie Boys, and Weird Al. I think a lot of the influences were trickling into our taste at that time. And like, you know, Monty Python, There's a lot of like, you know, the ending of the, the end gag is you finally get to save Princess What's Her Name, and she gets crushed by the cow that you launched at the start of the game. That's the big end joke. And even the fact she's called Princess What's-Her-Name, which is meant to be a sort of a satire of just like, she's a faceless princess. These games have all got faceless princesses that you're, you're looking to rescue. She may as well be called Princess What's-Her-Name.
3: I mean, I love the start of the game, and I love that to get past this whole like opening segment, you have to launch the cow. And it says, cow launched. <laughs> and given how hard this game was, there was probably, like, A whole slew of players that just had no idea why they'd launched a cow or what the end game was I was that player for me it was just it was a fun gag
0: like I thought it was just there to be a joke of just like cow launched because why not it's a wacky thing to do in a game game was released here in the UK November 1994 and the SNES version came a month later because this game was designed to be a Mega Drive game first and then was you know ported over to the SNES and The Mega Drive one got an extra level in there as well. Intestinal distress, which the SNES version didn't. SNES version, I think, looks nicer. Um, And the reason why they argued that the, um, the Mega Drive one got the extra level and the SNES one didn't is that it was easier to compress the game down onto a Mega Drive cart than it was onto a SNES one. So they had to take the level out. However, that's a massive load of bollocks. That's just always been the story that was told. But Nick Brucey, one of the animators on the game, told Retro Gaming Hour podcast that Sega paid for them essentially to put the extra level in. In a way, basically it was just like, if you put the extra level in on just the Mega Drive version, we'll reduce the costs of cartridges so you can make the game cheaper on our systems. So the SNES version gets released a, a month later and it's got less content in there. In the same way that you know the Mega Drive version of Mortal Kombat had the blood, the SNES one didn't. And that level was designed, coded, tested the day before the game went to print. So it was literally like a last minute thing. Sega was like, hey, guys, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's some extra incentive for you. Put this little extra bit in for us.
3: Absolutely amazing.
0: But hey, guess what? What? There was an Atari Jaguar, and Atari Jaguar CD port done and finished. And then it was never released because the guy who was doing it left doesn't work quite as well when you do it does it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know i just never got to do it in in series three anyway the prototype said to be lost to time so that's never going to get released it's had various releases over time like gba got a version of it which isn't very good there was a hd remake of it which is all right we are getting a new game for it though (laughs) and this is something that kind of like i never knew this was this was happening you mentioned earlier how the creator of this game you don't want to support anything that he's doing And he is directly involved in the fourth entry of this series, which is being released on the Intellivision Amico. Amico? That sounds
3: a lot like Coleco, but it's not.
0: It's a frigging new Intellivision console. It was meant to come out last year. It's now coming out this year. It's out in like four months time at the time of this recording. And it's being done by like Tommy Tallarico, who does the music for Earthworm Jim. And it's Dave Perry of Shiny. They're involved in like the making of this. And it's got like a new remake of toe jam and earl it's got remakes of tron and burger time and asteroids and pong and centipede it's a 2d machine and it looks like an updated version of the intellivision i don't know who this is for but every anyone who signs on to make a game for it like doug making earthworm Jim 4 it has got to be exclusively released on that console yeah, I just I'd never heard of this thing, but it's out in four months' time. So if you are into playing Atari and in television games, and you want some like updated versions of them, get yourself an Amico when it comes out.
5: Okay, Earth from Jim, any tips for our two challengers? Um, keep moving. Essentially, there are, there are plenty of neutron capsules around, but if they shoot the, the baddies, then more more are revealed. Okay, then.
0: But then that's like, that's kind of enough history on Earthworm Jim. We can talk about like the sequels and stuff maybe at a later date if it, it comes up again, but we have got to get into this challenge. And Simon Bryan of The One is in the booth with them to talk about like where to find all of these neutrons and stuff. And, oh, it's so much fun watching these lads play this game. It's so, so much fun, like trying to like rush through it, rush past the dog, bouncing around all of the tires, hearing that awesome music and the great animation. It's not like the most thrilling challenge. Actually, it's quite thrilling because they get very, very close in terms of like the scores and stuff. But it is, it's so much fun to watch.
3: And it's also so familiar because no matter how good you are at this game or aren't, you know this first level well. You know you've got to kind of lasso yourself over that chain to climb across the pit with the dog in. And if the dog catches you, he pulls your trousers down. It can also sap your energy because Eddie, who's up first, he Avoids the dog to the most part, but doesn't avoid the spikes. Yeah, and therefore his energy is soon down to forty-four percent. At that point, he's collected one neutron.
0: Yeah, he doesn't. He does much better after that because like he had twenty with about twenty seconds to go, and I was like, "Oh, hello, mate. You need to start. <laughs> you need to start doing better than this because you are at a rate of one a second at the moment." He has thirty-six when all is said and done. And like 36 feels like a really, really good score to get. And when Tim starts playing, they make, they make the point of this on commentary. He's doing better than Eddie was when they get to the same point, when they're trying to climb up the, the conveyor belts and avoid all of the stuff. But with 20 seconds to go, he had 23. With two seconds to spare, he is about to lose this challenge and he finds this huge cluster of them And gets up to 38. Oh, it was very, very close.
3: It was. Both challenges were actually fairly similar throughout. They just took slightly different paths through the level. I'd say they were both equal in game playing skill. And that is why it came down to being so tight. But uh, they made this game look good. They made this game look challenging. They made this game look fun. This was a great challenge to wrap up that first episode of season four
5: with. Hello Eddie. Well done, Tim, Eddie. I thought that score would have been good enough actually to win, but in the end, unfortunately, it wasn't. What, what went wrong with your performance then? Well, well, I never did enough jumps. Tim did a
4: brilliant comeback, and it was very close anyway. That
5: no, it was it. Certainly was. Uh, Tim, it was just right at the end of that last leap. You got it. Were you, were you quite confident throughout? No, I was kind of like really like sweating, you know. Well, uh, well, listen, Tim, this. Uh, my friends tell me, and a lot of them are figurine experts, is a maquette of Earthworm Jim. It's actually worth a lot of money, and the shiny boys have made it up for us especially. And uh, so you are going to get that, actually. You can buy a lot of cheesy wads for that.
3: But he doesn't just win the Golden Games Master joystick, does he, Luke? He wins something that I
0: would very much like to have. He wins a maquette. Yeah. of a... It's not a maquette; it's a <laughs> maquette. <laughs> but it's spelt that way. Yeah, he gets this like awesome statue of Earthworm Jim and it, it oh man like the team from shiny provided it oh i would want to have this in my office
3: i do worry slightly because i was looking at it going has it been bent <laughs> i mean i think it is meant to be kind of like it is meant to be a posable maquette so it's kind of like a wireframe inside but it does look quite unsteady on that wooden plinth and uh, it looks like it had been tucked on dominic's arm and it may have bent as a result but uh it does look great. I do feel slightly bad for Tim because he now has to try and juggle the uh, the Games Master golden joystick and this maquette. And the golden joystick has actually gotten slightly more difficult to hold because it's not in a square case anymore with nice edges you can grip onto.
0: Yeah. Oh, the crash test dummies would have absolutely
3: fumbled this. Oh, it would have been an absolute disaster. Many people would have dropped these. But Man, what a double win for Tim there.
5: Right, I'm off now to put dried bogeys on the outside of people's noses. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Dominic ends off here with a very
0: weird thing to say. He's not going to pick dried bogies out of people's noses. He's going to put them onto people's noses.
3: Well, I think the idea is that it means they're then walking down the street with a bogey on the outside of their nose and they don't know about it. And people are like, Ugh. And surely you would know. If you saw Dominic Diamond coming up to you with some dried bogeys
0: and putting them on your face, you'd probably recognise that they were there. Maybe he's waiting until you're asleep. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a best of luck to him if that is his endeavour. And that is episode one of series four of Games Master. Ash, what did you make of it?
3: Loved it. Beginning to end. Yeah, it's a great episode. All three challenges delivered on different levels. Baraka was daft but fun. Frank Skinner was great. The reviews were great. I enjoyed the jab at the Jaguar because it was funny that they were just going to go for it and not give a damn. The Earthworm Gym challenge was great. The consultation was fun because obviously Mortal Kombat 2 was the big release. This was just great.
0: It's a brilliant return to form because we've had the team championships for a little while now and I think we were... Getting a little bit stale of it, even though the final four episodes of it were really good. I think we were ready to get back into Games Master and old Games Master and proper Games Master. And this was a great return to form. Loved all three challenges. Loved the reviews. Loved the feature. Yeah, I just loved everything about this episode. This is a high 90s for me. I'm going like 90s, 90. I'm going to go 95... I'm going to push the
3: 96% actually. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to go 94. 94 is where I'm at on this. I'm going to give it the same as Mortal Kombat got. I'm not going to give it quite what, you know, the magazine gave Alien vs. Predator. But I'm going to go 94%. But that is going to wrap
0: it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. you can get in touch with us on social media channels at underconsolepod on Twitter at under.console on Instagram. Or you
3: can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to interact with us in real time, maybe get a bit of a chat on with us, with other listeners, with Patreons, with whoever, you can join our underconsultation discord where people hang out at all times of day and night and have a good old time talking about games master games movies television music pogs there's all sorts
0: going on and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod which will give you access to ucp extra where we review the animated series of earthworm gym we've also done real ghostbusters done other 90 shows like funhouse nightmare finders keepers whole lots of fun prizes to be won and you'll also get our monthly community podcast under console nation where we chat the breeze you can ask us questions it's a really really fun time and if you'd back us at five pounds or more you get next week's episode one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level
3: you get an extra bonus ash what do they get or they get a patreon exclusive mug which contains patreon exclusive stickers patreon exclusive badges Retro trading cards at the moment, the Mighty Morphing Power Rangers, Retro Sweeties, and £5 off our Under Consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, stickers, and badges at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Zanderthal,
0: William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Cliff, Alexis, Adam Warrington, Adam D., Colin and Carol. Thank you so, so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time as we continue our journey through hell with Episode 2 of Games Master Series 4. Take care, everyone.
3: ta